0: Read the Word of God again in that passage. The Lord has laid this on my heart and mind tonight to uh, bring to you the message of God for this occasion. So, Galatians chapter 4, and we read the 130th Psalm at the start of the service, and it brings forth the great theme of redemption. So does Paul here, as we will see, and are reading now and in the message tonight, See, redemption is the theme of all of Scripture. Redemption is that which the Old Testament saints received in terms of divine revelation, the knowledge of redemption through the blood, and it's no different in the New Testament. And so we're going to read these verses. Galatians 4, and reading at verse number 1, let us hear the Word of God. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child... Differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Amen. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of His Word to our hearts. We'll bow together again just for a, a word of prayer before we come to the preaching, and it's all hold in the Lord for His help. O oh God, our Father, we bow before Thee again, and we thank Thee for the reminder in these hymns of the One who has our peace, the One who has our Redeemer, the One who has our righteousness. Lord, we realize even in the light of these hymns, as well as what we see in Thy Word and will see tonight by Thy help that there is no other deliverer of the soul, no other one who can bring us into a right standing with God but thy blessed Son. And, O Lord, we long and pray that we will have and know thy blessing and thy help now as we come (coughs) to the Word of God and to the very verses that thou hast given for this occasion. Shut us in with thee and meet with us, we pray. And may Christ be glorified. And exalt it far above all, Lord, bring Thy presence over the gathering, and give help by the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake, amen and amen. So please turn with me to Galatians 4, and we want tonight just to focus on verses 4, 5, and 6 of this passage that I read with you. In these verses, there's a very sharp focus brought to bear upon our Lord Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of sinners. Already in chapter 3, verse 13, Paul has underlined this fundamental fact of all divine revelation, namely that Christ is the Redeemer of sinful men. In that verse, chapter 3, 13, Paul writes, Christ hath redeemed us, and he uses the very same Greek word, that he uses here in verse 5 of chapter 4, where you again have that little statement, to redeem them that were under the law. Now, these words uh, that are used in the book of Galatians as well as in other parts of the New Testament are words that all have the basic meaning of releasing through the payment of a price, The original word that's translated redemption or to redeem, whatever form it may take, was drawn from the marketplace of the first century. In Paul's times, a very common aspect of life was the marketplace. Of course, that is still the case in many, many parts of the world, the marketplace. But in those days, it was the center of life in a real way. It was that place of activity where people gathered and assembled to buy and sell. They went about all of their various forms of business in the marketplace, all kinds of people buying and selling. In Matthew 14 verse 15, in which the disciples speak of sending the multitudes to villages to buy themselves victuals, we have the very same word used there, only translated to buy they sent the people to buy themselves vitals. That was on the occasion when the Lord fed the multitudes and the disciples felt there's no way they could feed them, and so they talked about sending the people to the marketplaces in order to buy their food. Now, in that instance, there is the literal use of the word. The word buy, or the word actually could be read there, redeemed or redeemed, that we have here in these Galatian verses. And therefore, this marketplace scene of buying and selling is at the very heart of the word that the apostle paul uses in these verses galatians 4 where he writes of christ redeeming sinners in the text however the word redeems actually a strengthened form of the basic word that means to buy or to redeem it means to buy out. It signifies a complete and irreversible, a full release obtained by a price, by a full price that is paid. Again, in Paul's times, the strengthened form of the word that he uses here was used in another setting, again in a marketplace, but this time with regard to the practice of purchasing a slave with a view to that individual's, not incarceration, but actually that individual's freedom. The full picture is that of someone with a heart of mercy going into the slave market, not into that common market, that general market where buying and selling took place of various kinds, but actually into another market altogether where slaves were sold. And this man would go there, this man with a heart of mercy, a heart of love and compassion, and he would purchase whatever number of people, not to take them away with him and make them his bond servants or slaves in his home or his business or whatever it may have been, but actually to set them free. In other words, he released them from the bondage that they were already in, and he delivered them from further slavery and bondage that faced them, and He gave unto them their freedom. That's the word that the Apostle Paul is using here in our text tonight, Galatians 4, 4 through to 6. And so, the word that Paul uses is a very appropriate reminder of this whole subject of the redemption of sinners. It's a very a relevant, a very appropriate word that suits the whole scheme, the whole plan, the whole meaning of what the redemption of sinners actually is. Out of mercy and out of love, Jesus Christ entered into the slave market of sin in this fallen and sinful world to buy out or to redeem sinners and in doing so liberate them from their bondage, the bondage into which sin had brought them and set them free and deliver them altogether from the curse of a broken law. That's the sense of what the Bible means when it speaks of redemption. There are men who write about redemption and they will just simply say it means deliverance. There's an aspect of truth in that, but it's not all the truth at all. It's much more than deliverance. It is what I have been showing you as we understand the meaning of this word. There's another word used in the New Testament that is very uh, much linked to the word that's used here, and it signifies uh, the exact price paid in order for redemption to take place. And that particular word is, is taken from the verb that means to loose, or to release, or to set free. And when you bring all these words together, what you find is that the Lord Jesus Christ went into the slave market of sin to buy out sinners, to deliver them completely and absolutely from all that sin had done to them and all that sin had made them. And in doing that, He paid a price He paid a full price in order to their redemption. And so, that's the primary feature of the whole subject of redemption. It means to buy out, to buy back, to release, to set free, but not without a price. And that's where those writers and and even preachers go wrong when they simply say that redemption is to be delivered. No, my dear friend, It is much, much more than that. It is to set free by the payment of a price or by the payment of a ransom. And our Lord Jesus Christ taught that. Because He says, as you find in Matthew 20, very well-known verse, verse 28, He says there, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. The Lord didn't come to be served, my people, in His earthly ministry, He says, but to minister or to serve. And he says this, and to give his life a ransom for many. And the word ransom there is this other word that's linked to redemption, but really focuses in on the payment of the price. You know what a ransom is? Someone's abducted, someone's carried away, and it's always, of course, by... Uh, scoundrels, that sort of thing, but they demand a price. They want a ransom. So we know what the word ransom means in everyday English language. But here's our blessed Savior He says, I came, I came to give my life. And what's Christ's life? What does He mean by that? To give my life a ransom for many. He's speaking of nothing less and even nothing more than his own precious blood. Because Paul te- or, sorry Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. My dear friend, if I had all the silver and gold in the world, I could not buy one soul in terms of that person being saved. He says not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so, it's clear, it's plain, the Word of God. All this truth combines to bring our focus onto Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of sinners. That's the subject that lies in these three verses. And based on these verses, I want to focus your minds tonight on that fact of Jesus Christ being the only Redeemer, the only one who is able to save, the only one who holds the answer to the needs of sinners, whoever they are, young and old, men and women, deep-dyed sinners, religious sinners whatever their category, whatever their case, whatever their state, they're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the standard we have not reached, nor can we reach it left to ourselves. But here's Christ, and He's the one who meets the need. I want to look at the subject of Christ, our Redeemer, therefore, in three ways. We have the Redeemer and His program. Look at verse 5. It says, To redeem them that were under the law. And that's what I mean by the Redeemer and His program. You see, the language there is very specific. It indicates that Christ came into the world within the framework of a definite and an objective program of redeeming sinners. There was absolutely nothing aimless about the Redeemer. Coming into the world of humanity. He had a specific program in mind. He had an end in view. He came to redeem sinners. We're told this. It states it clearly. Let us see this. Here's the Redeemer and his program. He came to redeem them that were under the law. It's a program of identification. Look with me at verse 4, that leads into the next two verses. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman. And of course, you have there one of the most outstanding statements in the whole of the New Testament, indeed, in the whole of the Bible, that encapsulates the incarnation of the Lord. But here you have it, because these words signify this whole matter of the Lord coming and His program, the program of redemption, and it involved identifying with men, identifying with those whom He would redeem. And in that identification, that's in view there in those words, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman. In that, there's a history. You can see it. His final little phrase, the fullness of time. When the fullness of of the time, it actually reads in the original. In fact, here in the English, when the fullness of the time has come. It's a very important little phrase. The word fullness signifies a complete end of something. But it's the fullness of time. And so, the word for time signifies a, a period of time, an age actually, a whole span of time and so the phrase the fullness of time describes the end the completion of a certain age and the references to that long period of time that age that began with the fall of man and ran right down through until The time the Lord Jesus came into the world made of the woman. That's the age, that's the time, that's in you here. That's the history that we see in this text this evening. There is history, you see. This is very important. That long age through which all of the preparatory events occurred, they ran on and they came to completion at a specific moment in history when the Lord Jesus Christ was brought into this world. We maintain, I say to you tonight, the truth of the Christ of history. Understand what I mean by that. The Christ of history. History reveals to us what Paul states here in this little part of verse number five or verse number four Christ was brought forth in the fullness of time and so forth. That is history history running on through all the ages, all the thousands of years, all those different events that occurred, it's all culminating in one point. It's converging in one particular scene. History is coming to a peak in the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, my dear friend, the truth of redemption, the redemption of sinners, is not based on a theory that somebody dreamt up Nobody could dream this up. Rather, redemption is based on the fact of divine intervention in the history of the world, in the affairs of fallen humanity. And since Jesus Christ was appointed from all eternity to be the redeemer of sinners, he had to enter into history. He had to step into time in order to accomplish that redemption. Please understand that, folks. You who are saved and you who are not saved, you need to understand this. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that Christ is the Christ of history. There was a time, there was a place when and where He was born. It is not a theory. It's not something that is abstract. It is something that is real and concrete. It's the same kind of language as you have in Hebrews 9:25, where Paul writes this, that once in the end of the ages, he appeared to put away sin. That's redemption. But ages had run by, Once at the end of the ages, at the very completion of all those ages, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world in His supernatural love and grace, the eternal Son, entered into history, entered into mankind to identify with sinners. That's the point. This program of the Redeemer is a program of identification. The Lord came to identify with the likes of you and me. He became a man, yes, but He came into time. He really lived in this world. He walked in this world. He was seen in this world. He did a work in this world. And that's what we'll look at mostly tonight as the Lord helps us. What that teaches us tonight is very, very important. Christ is not far off. He is the Christ of history. He came into the world to identify with sinners in all their need, to elevate them that they might live forever. There is history in this program of identification. But there's also humility. Notice it. In verse number 4 again, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. There's the humility. Christ redeems from sin's bondage by becoming incarnate. He becomes a man. The eternal Son assumes our humanity. For He came to save men and women. He came to save human beings. Think about it, sinner. The Lord of glory from all eternity living with the Father and the Spirit as an invisible spirit, leaves all that glory and that fellowship with the triune Godhead and he steps into time and he humbles himself. He humiliates himself to become man. That's what he was doing. All because he loves someone like you. He saw you in all your need and all your sin and all your enslavement to sin. And he came into the world and humbled himself to be made in the form of men, taking on himself our humanity. And therefore, we're seeing so clearly in these little details that this program of identification involved history, the fullness of time. It came to a close that period. Christ arrived, but he was made of the woman. You see, redemption for sinners Spiritual freedom for sinners can only be secured by someone who is God and man both. And that means that every other pretended Redeemer is just thrown aside. There are pretended Redeemers. There are many, many of them in false religions. Men who rise up. In fact, the Lord Jesus tells us that before He comes again, there will be many Christs, as He puts it. Men will come along saying, I am Christ, and another will say, I am Christ. It's happening already. It has happened down through Centuries. but it's going to happen even more before the Lord comes back because the whole objective of the devil is to blind people to this truth that Jesus Christ alone is the Redeemer. He wants to blind them completely. And therefore, this man and that man with their movements and their religions are all going to present themselves as Redeemers. But there's one thing that disqualifies them all and that is they aren't God and man in the one person There's only ever been one person like that, and that's Jesus Christ. And while He humbled Himself to do this, yet there is a a uniqueness about it. There's a glory about it that we must not miss. That the Lord Jesus Christ took our humanity, elevated it into union with His deity, and in that special, impeccable, true humanity, He accomplished the great work of redemption. The Redeemer in His program is a program of identification. But look at it. It's a program of subordination. As it goes on to say there in verse 4, not only made of the woman, but it says this, made under the law. And it goes on to say, To redeem them that were under the law. Christ was made under the law in the sense that he undertook to give a perfect, a full obedience to the law on behalf of sinful men and women like you or me, who themselves, we are helpless under that law's command and under that law's curse. That's where we are. We are under the law. Get that straight tonight. The whole human race is under the law of God. The moral law of God, I mean. That law that's summarized in the Ten Commandments. That law that says thou shalt not, or thou shalt. That law that is binding and will never be set aside. That law, and here's the point, that you have broken time without number with your sinning, with your vile sinning, and disobedience to a holy God. He has given us His blessed law as a framework in which we may live. That was given to man at the very beginning. It was under that law that Adam was made. It was in that framework of the law that Adam sinned. You see, there can't be any sin if there isn't a law that has been broken. God could not judge Adam for having sinned unless Adam was made under the law. Adam was made under the law, but Adam broke the law. But here's a man, and notice what he did in this program of subordination. He's made under the law. What did he do? He submitted to that law. That's what the words really signify. Made under the law. It means that he came to obey it. And he did obey it. He obeyed it perfectly. He obeyed it fully. Romans 10 verse 3 says, Christ is the end of the law. And that means Christ is the completion of the law. Every jot and every tittle, every feature of the law, Jesus Christ has obeyed it. He submitted to the law. But Christ suffered under the law. Because it says here, made under the law, for what reason? Well, this is the whole program of the Redeemer. To redeem them that were under the law. Now notice that. You're under the law, as I've already said, but get it straight tonight. You're under God's law in the sense that you should obey it perfectly. But you can't and you won't. You've broken it. Man is a rebel. He is defiant of the God of glory. And for man to be saved, someone must come and not only submit to that law, but he must come and suffer under that law. And that's what you find in those words, to redeem them that were under the law. The word redeem points us to the suffering of our Savior. It points us to the bearing of the penalty that was placed upon him. That very penalty that you and I deserve to suffer forever. It fell on Jesus Christ. It came upon his soul. As I noted with you earlier, the word redeem has a sense of the payment of a price. And my friend, the price was the suffering of Jesus Christ that involved the shedding of His blood with all His pain and all His agony and all His shame. He has done that. Galatians 3.13 again. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Think about that. Made a curse for us. The full force of God's law fell on Jesus Christ. His suffering is really indescribable. There is no, not, no man, there's no theologian or whoever you care to mention, who is able to plumb the depths of the meaning of words like these, to redeem them that were under the law, and in setting out in that program to be cursed for us. The Father cursing His Son. His cries going up from Calvary that are the evidence of the fact that he is suffering under the law. But you see, sinner, if you're not going to suffer in hell forever, there must be found a person who has suffered in your place so much so that he has endured the equivalent of hell on your behalf. And that's precisely what Christ endured He submitted to the law. He suffered under the law as he subordinated himself to that law. He suffered under it. But listen to me. He satisfied that law. And I learned that by those next words in verse 5. That we might receive the adoption of sons. I've learned that a little more, but just now at this stage, those words tell you and me tonight of the satisfaction of God's law in the death of Jesus Christ. Because you see, no sinner would ever receive or enjoy what those words mean, the adoption of sons, unless satisfaction is made to the law. And my friend, that's that's the wonder of it. In that space at the cross, as our Savior submitted Himself, as our Savior suffered under the law. In all that, he satisfied the law fully. I'm talking now about its curse. He really had satisfied the law in its letter, every jot, every tittle in his holy life fulfilled. But the curse must also be satisfied. Sinners don't get to heaven, you see, by the law being set aside. That's how people think. It comes out in various ways. Oh, God would, God loves people so much He wouldn't send anybody to hell. That's the teaching of the lie of the devil. The denial of eternal punishment. Or just do your best and God will accept that. Another lie. My friend, are you, are you listening to the lie of Satan? Are you depending... On a false foundation. You're trying to convince yourself that you're going to escape what your sin deserves, what you deserve for your sin? I tell you, look at Christ, look at the cross, hear his cry, hear his cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And realize that in a certain sense the Father forsook the Son, He left him in the loneliness of the suffering of the cross. He alone suffered, not the Father, not the Spirit, but only Jesus Christ. And He was, he was left to endure the curse of the law. And that should tell you tonight of oh, the awful danger that you're in, the awful end that awaits you if you live on in your sin and die in your sin. There is no other end that can be spoken of as far as you're concerned but for you to die under the curse of the law without reprieve, with no end to the agony, the eternal punishment, everlasting wrath over your soul throughout the endless ages. The Redeemer and His program, that's it. It's a program of identification, a program of subordination, but then the Redeemer and His purpose, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Those for whom Christ has purchased this spiritual freedom, this redemption, are given a certain privilege. There are many, of course, of those privileges, but there's one that's spelled out here by the apostle that we might receive the adoption of sons. That of being adopted into the family of God is what is in view here. The word for adoption, it's a lovely word. It's a a word with a tremendous meaning. It has two parts to it. One part means son, and the other part means to place. And the word for son is a word that covers whether it's male or female. Because all of God's people, his, His children is how we could read it, they're all his children, whether they're men or women, all those who are brought to know them. But anyway, that's what the word signifies, to place as a son, to take a sinner on the road to hell under condemnation and place that individual into this wonderful and glorious standing of being looked on as one of the sons of God, one of the Lord's children. You see, the privilege is what really stands out, because this adoption, it is given to those to whom it does not naturally belong, who are not deserving of it in any shape or fashion, vile and undeserving and guilty sinners. But that's the word that Paul uses. You see, the word adoption is used only by Paul in the New Testament. It is a legal term. It signifies the new status of those whom the Lord saves and sets free from the bondage of the law of those who are redeemed by His precious blood. His teaching here about adoption in these verses is a continuation from what you have at the end of chapter 3. Just look at verse 29 in chapter 3 and note what it says there. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed? And there's the thought again of sonship. Or oh, in a certain family, Abraham's seed. Then it says, and heirs according to the promise. And the word heir means to possess a lot, to possess a portion. It's a word that signifies clearly an inheritance. And then in chapter 4 here, the first few verses, Paul proceeds to deal with the issue of the believer being an heir. And to emphasize his teaching, he uses a point. That was found in Roman law. And that is that though a person was an heir, it's only at a certain point in time that the heir receives inheritance. That's his argument in the first three verses. You see, what we're looking at here is simply this there are sinners who are to be saved, they are called the heirs of God. But in order for them to be to enter into their inheritance and become the heirs of God, they must be adopted. Because without that they're nothing better than a slave. They are slaves, like all others in humanity. What I'm saying to you, my friend, is very solemn. Not everybody is going to be saved. not right? Hell is filling by the moment. Those who talk about universal redemption or salvation, again, are liars. The Bible doesn't teach it anywhere. Some even go as far as teaching that the devil himself eventually will be redeemed. But the Bible makes it clear that not everybody will be saved. The Bible teaches as well that all mankind is fallen. They are sinners. They're lost. They're guilty. And that includes those who do become saved. Now, those who do become saved are heirs in the mind of God. But there's a certain point in their experience in life where the adoption takes place. And up until that moment, as I've said, they are slaves like all the rest of humanity. I want you to see this tonight, sinner. I want you to get a hold of this. You might sometimes listen to gospel preaching or whatever, and you'll swallow the old lie. You know, those Christians think they're better than other people. Actually, we don't. And anyone who claims to be a Christian and says I'm better than other people is not a Christian. True Christians do not believe that. True Christians realize that until God stepped in and they received the adoption of sons and were brought into the family of God, they were just the same as everybody else. Lost and guilty. And then God intervened and what was... What was uh, for the the believer was then given to that individual. Ah, my friend, you are saved. Think about that tonight. The day you were saved, the night you were saved, whenever it was, whatever the circumstances, it doesn't matter. Up to that moment, you were a slave. You were lost. You were guilty. And then God took you and brought you into His family. And you deserved it not. I want the unsaved here tonight to hear that. Because the whole point of what I'm saying is this. You don't deserve it either. Sinner, do you understand what I am saying? If God let you go on down the road to hell, it's nothing more than you deserve. Because you're already on the road to hell. And you're traveling to it day by day. And as time goes by, you're closer and closer to the chasm of hell, to the bottomless pit. And if you drop in one of these days, it's exactly what you deserve. But here you are in a gospel meeting under the sound of gospel preaching and warned of your sin and your need and being shown that there is such a thing as this, that Christ the Redeemer had a purpose in coming to suffer, that we might receive the adoption of sons, become the heirs of God. The Bible says that so wonderfully, not only here, but in Romans 8, in verse 17, where, where Paul writes, and of children, then heirs. Become one of God's children, and you're one of God's heirs. An heir to glory, an heir to everlasting life, and all that's in Jesus Christ, it becomes yours. And actually, it tells you in that same verse, only heirs of God that says this, joint heirs, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Just think about that. God in His marvelous grace through redemption actually gives to sinners the very glory that belongs to Christ. They will live with Him. They will reign with Him. They will be fully like Him someday. Not deified, but in terms of their transformation of soul and body, purged forever from sin, from even the very potential to sin, impeccably pure, and throughout eternity living that way in the endless ages of the glory that shall be hereafter. Ah, my friend, that's the Redeemer and His purpose, that we might receive the adoption of sins. And that assures you, sinner, that if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will receive this adoption. You know, it doesn't matter what people think about you. You might say to yourself, you know, I've been such a sinner, who could ever even like me? Who would ever even want everything to do with me? People can sin so much. That it overwhelms them. And they get down, down under it. And then they, they, they entertain the idea, I, I'm worth nothing. I'm no good to anybody. And despair comes in. And what an awful thing despair is. But listen, sinner. Christ is the answer. Come to God through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, put your trust in Christ and you will then be loved with everlasting love and you will have a place in God's family of adopted children, spiritually I mean, and you will have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God, You'll be set free from your bondage and your slavery to sin. You'll be set free from your guilt. You'll be set free from the allurements of a corrupt and stinking world to enter into this blessed standing to receive the adoption of being one of the sons of God. Finally, the Redeemer and His provision it's in verse 6. Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so what do I see there? I see the Lord Jesus Christ actively providing for those who put their trust in Him, for those who become the sons of God. He provides for them forever, for the rest of their days in this world. He sends the Holy Spirit into their hearts. The Holy Spirit comes to live there. He enables those people to do the will of their Lord, to live for God, to love God, to love holiness, to hate sin, to turn away from it all. They've now got a new nature (coughs) signified by those words, Abba, Father, says it there, crying, Abba, Father. This is part of the great provision that Christ makes. He gives to those whom He saves, whom He redeems, whom He adopts this blessed provision of a new nature signified by this cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba and the word Father are two separate words, as you can see. But the word Abba is a precious word. It signifies affection and love of the deepest kind. And so here's the individual whom the Redeemer sets free and has given the Holy Spirit, provided by Jesus Christ, and born of that person's soul. There is a love for God the Father, a desire for Him to do His will, to walk in His ways. My friend, this is the change of life that is coming in here for those who are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes them new creatures. He gives to them the Holy Spirit. They want to cry. I mean, they want to pray. They want to seek after God. He becomes their Abba. He becomes their Father. Abba signifies affection. The word Father signifies having a, a holy reverence for God. And both become true. And God is no longer cursed and despised by the sinner. But loved by the sinner. And a desire to walk in his ways, as I've said, and to, to follow Him, to go through with him until life closes and then go to be with him. Christ, our Redeemer. See it tonight his program, his purpose. The provision he makes is all here. Now, my friend, will you come to Christ? And Maybe you've been thinking about this and turning it over in your mind and you've been troubled and anxious and concerned about these matters and wondering when you should come to the Lord because maybe you've learned now that you need to come to the Lord. And the answer is, the counsel is, tonight. Tonight, Now. And I urge you to come. Come to the Redeemer. Put your trust in him. Seek Him with all your heart. When the meeting is over, I'll be I'll be glad to take time and meet with you. And lead you to the Lamb. I trust that tonight you will seek Christ. Let us bow in prayer. May God write His Word in all of our hearts. May He use it. May there be those tonight who will be broken over their sin and who will come to the Savior. Speak to me at the door and make that known. And may God bless His Word. Father, we pray that The Holy Spirit will take those things that are eternal, that are vital, and may He write them on hearts this night. May He deal with lost souls in this gathering or even among those online. May the Holy Spirit do the work that He alone is able to do. Hear as we pray. Give grace. Work with power. For Jesus' sake, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the portion of all of your people tonight and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.